Hello, welcome to another episode of the Richmond Bigfooty Tiger Cast. Coming off a win against the the enemy, Collingwood, which was a really, really nice result there. I uh, must admit it wasn't looking good for three quarters, but we did our traditional pull away in the last quarter, which was very good to see. Tonight we've got a special guest on from the Geelong side of town, um, coming into em- enemy territory, which we really appreciate. Ryan Reynolds from the Geelong Advertiser, welcome to you. G'day, mate. Good to uh, be on this podcast again. Was, I think this time last year that I was I was last on and having a chat to you about all things Geelong and Richmond, and um, it's nice that you've decided to have me back, mate. Absolutely. Well, we, we, if we have a chance to have Hollywood royalty on, we've got to take it. Oh, exactly right. Anything to boost the listening numbers. Obviously, if you can get a one or two retweets out of it, it, it might go viral, and then uh, who knows what sort of fan base you guys will be collecting over in America. <laughs> exactly right. Speaking of uh, retweets, it was when the AFL announced that they were going to rename Etihad Stadium to Marvel Stadium, uh, you obviously took advantage of that, as I suppose anyone would expect, and you put out a tweet saying, do I get free entry into Marvel Stadium? Hashtag Deadpool 2. Now, the stats as it stands, you had 177 comments, 810 retweets, and 5,363 likes. Did you expect it to take off like it did? To be honest, I was pretty happy with myself when I got one retweet and about 10 likes. So I thought that was my job done after that little sneaky one. Um, but it was, a, it was amazing to sit back and watch it. I mean, every time I logged onto Twitter, it was it was going bananas. And then I thought, oh, stuff it. I'll have a bit of fun with these morons and, and start commenting back like I was Ryan Reynolds, the actor. And it was amazing this, to see the offers that were flying in from from uh, offers of eating meat pies to uh, a lot of things that I probably can't mention on this podcast. <laughs> And, but have you got free tickets is the big question. Has that actually come through? Did anyone from the AFL nah, contact you about it? I'm still waiting for Gil to, to have those complimentary passes sent through to me, so it might be a long wait. Oh, bugger. Now, that was one of the highlights of my week, watching that just tick on and on and on. That was great. I'll be living off it for ages, I think. That's uh, that's my social media highlight done. Tick what, done. What about the reaction around the office at the advertiser? They must have been giving you heaps for it. Oh, the guys love it. Um I think they're, they're a bit used to it now, but you still get the odd intern or whatever he comes in. It's like, is your name really Ryan Reynolds or whatever like that? So there, a lot of them weren't really surprised to have seen just how viral that actually ended up going, I guess, just given the name. And the, the Cats, your boys on the weekend, had a pretty good win against the Lions by 42 points. Um, I, I think when I checked the score, they were actually ahead very early on in the stage, but obviously Big Tomahawk kicked into gear and kicked seven and you ran away with it. Yeah, it was an interesting game. Obviously, you guys probably wouldn't have seen much of it like uh, I haven't seen much of your game. But the Lions were really good for the first half. And to be honest, they, they missed a number of chances that they probably should have uh, they should have kicked um, in the first and second quarter and were probably pretty unlucky to, to be trailing at half time. Um, the Cats kicked a couple of late goals to finish the second half and then kicked a couple of early goals at the third quarter. And I think that sort of took the wind out of their sails. And in the end, it was pretty smooth sailing after half time. But... It was a far from easy victory like the um, the scoreline would have suggested. Yeah, the Lions, I know it's been mentioned in the media that they're the best, or they were the best zero in whatever number team they were for a while, and I actually agree with it. They've, they've got the making of a decent team. They just haven't got the experience behind them. Yeah, they've got a lot of good young talent, and I think um, Hodgie's really straightened them up down back too. He, he patrols the back line and I mean, during quiet times on Saturday, you could really hear him barking instructions, which is probably what the Lions needed, and you know, when they get the ball out into space and they're able to get their running game going, they're as, they're as dangerous as anyone. Um, and they've got a lot of young talent in that forward line too that can catch hot um, on their day. 
Yeah, no, it's. Uh, I mean, you, you take the 42 points any day of the week, but no doubt they made you earn it. And from the Richmond board tonight, we've got Grokodok back on board. Welcome, mate. Thanks, mate. It's good to be back. I think, what's this, the third time in five or six weeks I've been on? May yeah. as well take your job at the moment. May as well. Well, you might have to because I'll be on maternity leave shortly. So someone, <laughs> Ronnie Dangerfield might have to step up again. But, yeah, I might be out of action soon. Um, I don't know if you two both know it, but you're obviously both live in Geelong. So that was kind of a bit of a reason why I bought you on, Grok, because you, I thought you may have heard of Ryan and his work at the Advertiser. I have, I have. A uh, very, very avid reader of the Geelong Addy. Not so much when Geelong are up and about, but uh, yeah, obviously uh, Geelong li- living here, um, growing up in a large Geelong supporting family base. Needless to say, Geelong is probably my most hated team in the AFL <laughs> after all the all the years of crap I've copped from them, so... Yeah, it's always good to review a Geelong game. So, to, be, yeah. to be fair, when they beat us by 130 points or whatever it was, it didn't leave us much choice. Yeah, 157 points, and yeah. uh, I ended up I ended up being at that game, um, and uh, went up to that game, drove up in the car with my Geelong supporting Rallos. So, needless to say, I wanted I wanted to go home at uh, at half time. <laughs> um, but that, that was never going to be an option when the driver is a staunch one-eyed Geelong supporter. So I had to stick that out. And it was... The, uh, the trip back down the highway was not too pleasant, as I'm sure you could imagine. No, I'm tipping it wouldn't have been. Uh, but our game on the weekend was. Um, obviously knocked off the pies by 28 points. Uh, pretty close for the first three quarters. But uh, the last quarter, we just sort of ran away with it like we have done against them in previous times. Yeah, I suppose that's become our modus operandi at the moment, isn't it? Just sort of grind out the game for three quarters and then just run over the top of teams in, in the last. And it was really only a five-minute burst at the start of the fourth quarter that, that got us going, where I think we kicked uh, three goals in, five, in the first five minutes of the last quarter and then we were never really seriously challenged by the Pies after that. Um, obvi- obviously, the Pies, with their injuries... Uh, in the game, that was always going to count against them being down one, uh, being down three rotations on the bench, going deep into the last quarter. And obviously, the way the Pies play, it's a very um, taxing game game plan physically. That you know, they're a very heavy, heavy run and gun sort of side. They love to take the game on. So being down three rotations uh, in the last quarter was always going to catch up against them. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I thought it was a pretty ripping game. It was high pressure, but the skills on display were were, were pretty good. The pressure was intense, and you know how how nice is it when we actually kick straight for once? Yeah, it was nice to kick straight for a change, but they did it as well. And it's been a bit of a common theme in the previous weeks with our opposition all kicking extremely straight. The one thing that was interesting to me that I didn't know till after the game was looking at our disposal list, the highest disposal winners for us was Edwards and Ellis with 22 each. That's To me, that's yeah, staggering to win a game with those with those numbers. Yeah, and I think Asprey had 21 as well. I think Asprey was our third highest disposal getter. So it was, it was one of those weird games where our midfield just really didn't get involved, apart from, as you said, Edwards when he really went through there. And it's... It's just one of those games where I think Collingwood had the ascendancy through the midfield. I mean, you have a look at Sidebottom and Pendlebury. I think they had like 70 or something between them. Um, It's just, I I think the biggest difference between the two sides was we made our disposals count, whereas Collingwood didn't. I mean, in the first half, um, 
Pendlebury and, and Sidebottom went at a combined 33% kicking efficiency for the first half from 40-odd, 40, 45-odd disposals. So it, it doesn't matter if you're, gonna, if you're getting the ball. If you're not using it well, then it, it's really not going to matter. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Ryan, I know you, you wouldn't have obviously seen the game because your game was on at the same time as ours, but I'm sure you have seen Jack Higgins' goal. Uh, your initial thoughts on that, was it a throw? Was it legal? How did you sort of see it all? I like to see those ones paid, to be perfectly honest. There's a little bit of magic that gets the, the fans off their seat. Um, we're actually talking about it in the office today, and it really did split the newsroom a little bit in terms of people who thought it was a goal, people who thought it was a throw. Um, to be honest, if they'd paid it a throw... I would have been like, oh, well, that's that's just the way it was seen and that's fine. Um, but I'm glad they paid it a goal because it was a ripper. Yeah, it was. And what about yourself, Croc? What did you, I mean, we obviously both think it was a goal because we're Richmond supporters, but from a, as neutral as you can be position, what did you make of it? Um, I, I thought it was a goal, um, only for the simple fact how many times the players get tackled and throw the ball and get the get the foot to it and it doesn't get called, or if they're lying on the back when they get the ball and they throw it up to swing their foot at it and kick it. I thought it was pretty much the same thing as that. Um, and the AFL doesn't dictate how the ball must be released for a kick anyway, so I think there's a sort of grey area in the rules that came to light on the weekend, and there's no, there's no rules saying what Jack Higgins did was, was illegal, was against the rules. So I think they really had... Uh, I, I could see the argument for for them paying the um, paying a throw, um, but at the same time, I can also see why they didn't. And it's just it's one of those things. It's it's not very likely to happen again. So it's what what else can the umpires do? Yeah, and like what you said, it's it's more comparable to the ones when the players are on their back in a pack and they throw it up and just boot it out in the space. I mean, Cochin does it a fair bit. And, yeah, they're never called a throw. So I think if more or someone else had touched it prior to him kicking it, then maybe it was grounds to be called a throw. But because it was just from his hand to his boot, they almost had no choice. But either way, it was a pretty special moment to watch. And just even the reaction on the players' faces around him, like Estagna and Rewa, just couldn't believe what they just witnessed. Yeah, their faces are just like, what the hell was that? Did I really just see that? I mean, you see you see Jack's face, and Jack's like, geez, I've never done that in my career, and I've been going around 12 years. It's like, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. It, it's an absolutely freakish goal, and it's drawing comparisons to um, Luke Parker's bicycle kick in round one. And, you know, I was having a debate with some um, – family members earlier on a couple of hours ago about which was the better which was the better goal they had the um jack stephen goal a couple of weeks ago they had the higgins goal and they're talking about the parker goal as well and it's just you could make it you could really make a case for all three goals being goal of the year so it's just one of those things that's going to come down to it's an interesting comparison i mean the parker and higgins felt a lot more deliberate whereas the jack stephen one i don't know I, i'm not I'm not 100% he meant it, but it was still a good goal nonetheless. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the arguments that I made for it. I was saying, if you have a look at Jack Stevens' goal, how many players have done similar goals over the years? I mean, Brad Johnson did one. Uh, Trent Cotchin did one against Port Adelaide in round 18, 2014. I mean, those those type of goals where it's a soccer off the boot, um, the the volley in midair, those, those kind of things, you, you see one every couple of seasons. How many times do you see a bicycle kick in the AFL go through for a goal? You probably enough. make a case and say you've only seen two or three in the last 15, 20 years. It's, 
I think from a pure technical point of view, I think Higgins and Parker's goals were, were better than than Stevens in that regard. Do you share those thoughts, Ryan? If it come down to those three, who would you pick for a goal of the year? Or if there's another one out there, what would you go with? No, I'd definitely be going with either yeah Parker or the the one at the weekend. Um, as you guys mentioned before, it's all about for me when you're talking about um, goal of the year. Luck a little bit plays a part in it, um, but I like to look for technical ability and you know the player sort of deliberately doing something that is miraculous. And I think both of those two goals that you guys talked about there showed that. I mean, um, the goal of the weekend just to think your way through it in a split second and and sort of throw the ball up to yourself and then get a foot to it and, and get it through. I mean, it doesn't get more miraculous than that. And it wasn't one of those things where it was a sheer fluke either. That was, to me, I thought he sort of thought about it in while he did it. Yeah, and just the fact that he had the sense of mind to not touch the goalpost at all during that entire time because the moment he does that, it's a behind. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, it was funny that he... He claims in the media that he had time to compare it to what Glenn Maxwell does in the cricket, chucking the ball back in, went on the boundary line. It's like, mate, you didn't have that much time to think about it. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think he's going to have a bit of head wobble about him for the next few weeks. And deserved, though. Yeah, I mean, when you're kicking yeah. goals like that, you can do, you can say whatever you want afterwards. <laughs> yeah, he'll, uh, he'll be up to your level, I reckon, like what he would have been around the office during the Deadpool period, I reckon. That's the kind of head wobble he'll be looking at. Yeah, well, I've only just got rid of my neck brace, so maybe I could lend it to him. <laughs> just post it down the road for us, that'd be handy. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> All right, um, rules of the game. I'm not sure if you guys have done much into this in the office, Ryan, but um, I suppose being a media outlet, I'm sure you've all discussed it at some point. What's your take on the AFL's, I suppose, thoughts on introducing rules later in the season that are still during four points games? No, I'm I'm dead fast against any sort of tinkering in the in the middle of a season, um, and I think you know a lot of the commentary on social media pretty much sums it up in that you can't talk about the integrity of the game and and have you know clubs getting fined or disciplined for for tanking games of football later in the year, and then the the head body comes out and says, oh look, we're thinking about these games that don't really no one really cares about anymore because it's not going to shape the top eight. And, you know, we'll, we'll try some rules and some player positions and, and that sort of thing. Um, I don't think, you know, the organisation of the league should be able to do that. And I think, you know, while people talk about top eight hopes for those sides and, yeah, they may not be playing finals, every position on the ladder is crucial now when we're talking about draft pick points and and potentially having to use them for father-son selections and all that sort of thing. So, you know, it might be 16th versus, you know, 15th or 14th or something like that, but... Yeah, if you if you manage to drop one spot on the ladder or go up one spot on the ladder, the, the implications come draft draft time are, are magnified. Yeah, it's spot on. Um, there's always something on the line for each team, and yeah, by sort of trying to play down the value of games between clubs is yeah, it's not fair, especially when supporters are paying their money to be members every year. You've got to respect that aspect of it as well. Uh, Grok, what about you? Mm-hmm. What's your take on it? Uh, I'm very much like Ryan. I'm steadfast against any uh, bringing in any rule changes as trials in games that are officially worth four points. Um, not only for the reasons that Ryan outlined, but also if you have a look at it, if the AFL does introduce these rules next season, these clubs, the clubs that if they do decide to play in games, they're going to have three or four months head start on the rule changes than other clubs as well so it sort of creates an unfair advantage for them because they actually get to experience these rules in an actual proper combative setting before they're introduced so 
I suppose that sort of creates an inequality amongst sort of the lower ranked teams compared to the higher ranked teams who have to go by the current rules um, for you know the, till the end of the final series. Whereas these pla- the the teams down the bottom are getting a head start, you know, two or three months ahead of most of the others. So I think I, d- I really don't think that they can do that in a game worth four points. Um, I'm not sure who who mentioned it, but. Someone mentioned that during the buy round, they could maybe have a few practice games for clubs um, who haven't made finals, where they do trial the the, um, the the new rules that they're thinking of introducing, and maybe have a, an incentive for clubs to do it. You know, say um, you know we'll give you fifty thousand dollars if you participate in this trial, something like that. And I, I'm sure there'd be clubs who would volunteer that who are who are strapped for cash or heavily in debt. I mean, Port Adelaide would be one if they don't make finals, I'm sure, would put their hand up. Um, North Melbourne, if they don't make finals, would be another one, I think. I, I just think there, more, there are better opportunities for them to trial the rules rather than doing so in, in an actual season. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Ryan, what about the secretive uh, training sessions that the AFL are conducting with clubs to trial the rules? Is there? I don't think that's right, to be having all these secret sessions. If you're going to do it, at least be out in the open about it and give everyone a chance to participate. Oh, absolutely. And it goes back to the point there where clubs are getting an unfair advantage, aren't they? I mean, if you're knowing what the AFL is looking at bringing in and they're doing some secret training sessions or whatever with, with you guys at that stage, I mean, that's a pretty significant advantage if those rules decide to come in. Um, you know, Hawthorne or whoever else can, can start planning now in terms of what they think might happen while other clubs just don't know how those rules are going to be looked at, interpreted, used, or if they're even going to come in. Um I think with those things, if you're going to do it, you've got to give every club the option of saying, yes, we'd love to have this session at our club during our main session on a Wednesday or whatever day it is. Please come down um, and we'll run it through it. But it doesn't seem to, to be that way. No, they're just kind yeah. of hand-picking it. And I, I yeah. think the biggest the biggest thing is, as well, the AFL recorded those those sessions with Hawthorne and Brisbane and clubs requested to see the vision of it so they could get it, and they were denied by the AFL. So I think that as well is another reason that, you know, it shouldn't really be going ahead during the season. If it's not going to be accessible to every club, either, you know, in person or via video, then then what's really the point? Yeah, spot on. And what about the um, the rules themselves that they're looking at? So one of them, oh, I suppose the main one being the starting positions, and there was speculation of a 6-6-6. So I per- for a centre bounce, which I personally think is a complete waste of time because the centre bounce isn't the actual issue. It's the congestion after that. So I'm not sure why they would bother doing that. But uh, what, are, yeah, what about the actual rules themselves? What are your thoughts on that? There's no point doing any sort of you know rules in terms of six 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 or anything like that. As as you said, you know the, the problem's not at the centre bounce. It's the the players are spread there. It's that second ball up and and the play that follows that that leads to the congestion. And I think if you're sensible in in terms of the way that yeah your umpire and and not having these allotted ruckmen and all that sort of stuff, then you know you sort of get rid of the congestion a little bit yourself i mean if the umpires pick the ball up throw it up and and let the game get going it doesn't give the midfielders time to or the the forwards and the defenders time to roll up into the contest and whatnot um i think we get caught in a cycle where we create rules to stop changes to the game and that creates more problems so you know a lot of this slower play has been um started by the the third man up rule which was brought in 
and then it started with the allocated ruckman and, and whatnot, and it just slows down the play, and that's what's allowed this congestion to start. So the the problem goes back to the third man up rule and, and all those other rules that they've been brought in eventually. And you know, I've got no doubt if we bring in the six 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 or whatever other rules they're they're looking at, that eventually in a couple of years' time the coaches will cotton onto something that they can use as an advantage, and then we'll be creating rules to stop something from that that stem from that new rule. So. It's just a vicious circle, and I think we just got to let back go back to play, letting the players just play football, and and whatever happens, happens. Yeah, pretty much. That's what I reckon as well. And I think the rucking is a, a good point. If they just threw the ball up straight away, and the rule is just that one ruckman from each team goes up, no nomination, just whoever it is, and then the moment a second player goes up, just pay a free kick, just get it moving. Yeah, exactly right. And I think the other thing that we forget along the way too is that people go, "Oh, the game's never been uglier," and and whatnot, but if you rewind, say, 25 years ago, you know, when I was a young kid, or you guys were younger, or whatever, you, how many games of football would you see in a weekend? There was no pay TV, really. You'd get the match of the day, and then you get your highlights package, which is condensed into five minutes. So every game looks bloody fantastic when you're showing five minutes of highlights. I mean, I've got no doubt that 25 years ago there were some absolutely horrendous games of football, but the media coverage back then just wasn't as saturated as it is now. And we've just got a greater understanding of just how bad the some games can be. Yeah. Yeah, and Grok, what about you? Got any thoughts on the the actual rules themselves? Um, I'm staunchly against the six 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 model that's proposed. I mean, I'll put it in. I'll put it a scenario to you. Say it's the 2019 Grand Final. The AFL's brought in the six 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 rule. Your team's up by five points. There's a minute left on the clock, and you've got to start six six six. What do you do? Most most coaches would put you know two or three back to try and protect the lead and say you know you'd be you'd be absolutely filthy if using the six 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 model your team loses the grand final in the last you know minute because you've had to have stuck to these certain positions. So it's one of those things where I really don't think you can implement it because it's just going to wreck you know the fundamentals of the game. Um, I, I agree with the third man up rule. Um, obviously, it, the AFL, you, you'd think the most common logical thing to do is just throw the ball up, two players compete. If a third player competes, pay a free kick against. That's the most logical thing. It saves time. And the AFL are bringing in all these rules because you know they want the game to be more open and free-flowing. They want higher scoring and everything, but... What they don't realize is what they don't realize is the more they try and make the game offensive, the more clubs are going to go defensive. Because if teams are going to going to start focusing on becoming more attacking, then you know, like what Richmond did last year, the Bulldogs did before. You know, it's all well and good if you if you're good at attacking, but if you if you can't defend, then you know it's it's not it's really not going to matter. And a good defense will always beat a good offense. And you know, if club, if if the AFL are going to try and bring in more more rules to make the game offensive, it's I, I personally believe the game's just going to get more and more congested because teams are going to be so focused on attacking, they're going to train for it. Clubs are really going to tr- want to try and shut that down. So I, I think the AFL should really just tweak the rules that we have that aren't working, like the third man up rule and things like that, and just just leave the rest of the rules alone. The other rule I reckon that could help free congestion is correctly applying the rule of holding the ball or incorrect disposal. The amount of time they give players to get rid of the ball once they've taken possession of it 
it just draws more players to the contest. So I always thought it's as simple as if you take possession of the ball and assuming you've had prior opportunity, but if you don't kick or handball it, it's a free against. Simple as that. But they, yeah, I don't know. They seem to give people a lot more time these days. Yeah, they do. And I mean, it, it was frustrating to watch on the weekend, especially in the Richmond Collingwood game when you're watching that, because the amount of times that, we were pinged for holding the ball with absolutely no prior at all was frustrating. I think I counted 11 or 12 where, where a player had literally just taken possession of the ball and got tackled and were pinged, you know, three or four seconds later for, for holding the ball. And then play, you know, players on the opposition can take the ball, have three or four steps, get tackled and, and have, it, have it called a ball up, I think. The, the interpretations of holding the ball and incorrect disposal and, and all the other ones, they're, they're just completely wrong. And it's, it's one of those things, the, interpre- the interpretations differ umpire to umpire. So if, if they can't get the actual umpiring all on the same page on what is clearly a free kick and what isn't, then it's not going to matter what rule changes you bring in. If the interpretations, you know, you're going to have three or four different interpretations each game from, from each umpire. That's the biggest thing. They need they need to fix the consistency of interpretations for each rule, umpire to umpire. Yep, so I think the easy solution is don't add any new rules, just make minor tweaks and just get the game right. And it, like you said, Ryan, there would have been plenty of shit games back in the day, but we just all never knew about it. So carry on and appreciate, you know, when teams do kick a big score, that it is a good game. And even if there's not big scores, it doesn't mean it's a crap game. It still could have just been a hard-fought contest. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you have a look. I mean, uh, the competition over the last couple of years has gotten so much more even than it has in the last two decades, you know. Um, most clubs on their day can beat any club um, themselves. I mean, you have a look. We saw last week Gold Coast knocked off Sydney. I mean, no one really would have expected that. It's it's one of those things, you know. Um, people are saying, you know, the game's... You know, the game's, uh, it's not great, you know, or the game, it's an ugly game, all that. I'd rather have ugly games where they're real contests than having blowouts every week where a side plays absolutely amazing football and another side gets smashed off the park. That's just my personal opinion. I'd rather a much, much more even competition than, than how it used to be where, you know, it used to be a clear gap between the top eight and the bottom eight or ten sides. Definitely agree. All right, we'll move on to the big game this week. Richmond versus Geelong, first versus eighth at, uh, well, it's almost Geelong's second home ground now, the MCG, isn't it, Ryan? Oh, don't even get me started on that, mate. <laughs> Especially <laughs> after we had to bloody play a home final against you guys there or all that sort of stuff. No, um, home look, state. We, look, yeah, yeah, kind of like that. No, the um, It's amazing that, you know, it's, I mean, in, in all for all intents and purposes, you know, the MCG probably is Geelong's second home ground and we play a couple of home games there a year and we don't really tend to play it very well. So <laughs> I don't know how much of an advantage it is, but it would have been nice to be playing you guys at, at Simmons or GMHBA Stadium on Friday night, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it definitely makes a big difference, but I, I think no matter where it was going to be played, it's going to be a huge game nonetheless. Uh, you guys coming off a pretty good win. Tomahawk kicks seven. How do you see you guys going into this game? It's going to be an interesting one. I'd I'd like to think that, you know, Tom Stewart, they probably err on the side of caution. Um, We found out today that his his ankle sprain isn't as bad as first thought and he's still in contention for this week. Um, I I doubt Geelong would risk him just considering how crucial he is um, to the team and its structure. 
you know, hopefully come finals if, if Geelong qualifies. Um, the, Geelong's certainly starting to hit a bit of form now. Tom Hawkins, as you mentioned there, he's kicked two bags of seven. Probably could have, have had eight or nine on the weekend, really, if he wasn't being so selfless. Um, the midfield's starting to click uh, defensively. You know, the Cats are looking really sound. And I think um, the Cats played you guys, it wasn't that long ago. Um, it was a three-goal margin then. I think the Geelong's a, a better side than it was now, but whether it's good enough to to still roll you guys at the MCG, I'm not 100% sold on that yet. I think the midfield has improved for you guys on the back of Scott Selwood coming in because I've been to a few of your games and just watching the, I suppose, danger field, Joel Selwood and Ablett work in the centre, there was no defensive pressure applied to the other team. I think that's where it was kind of falling down for you guys. So having that defensive mindset um, in there with Scott Selwood is going to just provide that bit more balance for you, which, and to be honest, the centre clearance has been our issue for the best part of two or three months. So for us, I see that as a real danger. Uh, Grok, how do you see the Tigers going into this game? Um, obviously, we got uh, the news today that Prestia fractured a rib against uh, the Pies with that hit from Varco. Um, so obviously, he's in major doubt for the game uh, Friday night, which is going to be an absolutely huge blow for us. Um, I mean, it's no coincidence that our midfield started to look a whole lot better when Presti's been in. I mean, we've seen Kane Lambert's form improve. We've seen Dustin Martin's form improve when Presti's been in the side because he, he's the one that's all, the one that's in and under the packs. He gets the hard ball. Um, you know, he offers defensive pressure. He's, pro- he's, he's our best two-way player at the club in my opinion, offensively and defensively. He's just, he's one of those hybrid midfielders that, that can, that can run, that runs both ways. And without him in the side, it's, it's going to make it hard. So I could, uh, it's one of those things where it's, if Prestia doesn't get up, who, who really comes in for him? I mean, the, the logical one would be Jack Graham, but he's still probably a week or two away from his injury. So it's, We've we've really got no one to come in and, and replace um, Prestia, and as you said, the, our clearances have been a massive issue for most of this season. And it's if uh, coming up against Geelong, they've they've got um, Danger, they've got um, Selwood, Ablett, Menegola. When he goes through there, they can all they're all big bodied. They can they can win the clearances, and it's it's one of those things where. Um, Reece Stanley's in some really good form in the ruck. He's been playing really well. And if if Stanley gets on top of Nanka around the ground, we're going to get absolutely creamed through the midfield. And I think that's one thing that you can't afford to have happen against Geelong, especially with the form that, they are, that their forward line has been in. If you give them first use of the ball, I mean, Tom Hawkins has kicked 44 goals in the last, uh, since round six, and it's... That, that's they're just massive numbers when you think about it. He's averaging, I think, three and a half goals since round six per game, and it, it, with the form he's in, if if their midfield gets on top, I really do think they'll they'll roll over the top of us. Yeah, it's got the potential to get ugly if they get on top. Uh, Ryan, the rest of your forward line, the makeup of it's kind of chopped and changed throughout the year. What's your ideal forward line setup? I and mean, you've got Mendel's come back in. Uh, is he part of your, your your grand plan, I guess, for the Cats forward line? Yeah, one hundred percent. It's an interesting one, Geelong's forward line. They've they've got so many players that they've run through that part of the ground. 
this season. And it's mainly due to injury. I mean, guys like Lincoln McCarthy and Corey Gregson still can't get a clean run at it. Um, Daniel Menzel's obviously had his groin injuries or groin problems this year. Um, so we really haven't seen the best of what Geelong's forward line's got to offer. But I really feel the last couple of weeks that we're starting to see that turn now. And I think the the look that they went against Brisbane, obviously with guys like Parfit, uh, Lockie Fogarty in his first year, he's done really well. Um, Hawkins, Menzel, uh, and then uh, a fellow called Jack Henry, who had spent most of the year in defence this year, had been switched forward. Um, it's probably the most potent Geelong's forward line's looked in a long time. And I think when you're this close to finals, you've got to start locking away what your best side looks like. So I'm really hoping they stick with their current setup at the moment. And I think if they if they can get a run of games together heading into finals, then it could be a really dangerous asset for the Cats. What about your back line? You've obviously been decimated a little bit with injuries throughout the year. Do you see that still as a bit of a weakness in your team? Uh, to be honest, I've, I've thought defensively Geelong's back line's probably been the strongest aspect of the ground this year. Um, the, especially earlier in the year where Geelong was getting slaughtered in the clearances and the inside 50s that the Cats were coughing up were just phenomenal in terms of numbers. And, you know, for what the defenders had to put up with, they actually did a really good job in limiting the damage the opposition were able to do on the scoreboard. Um, obviously, that dynamic is going to change now um, with uh, Tom Stewart possibly missing with injury. Um, Lockie Henderson's come back in, which is a massive bonus. I mean, he's that experienced head who can read the play, uh, can lock down on a key forward if you really need. And they've had that bonus in in really getting Mark Blitzavs uh, a run of games in defence. And uh, for me, he's been in all-Australian form this year as a key defender. He's been phenomenal. And um, I think they've got the makings of, of what could be a good back line. Yeah, Blitzar's going down, there was an interesting move. He really had to reinvent himself after that third man up rule come in virtually because that was his big, you know, his big leg up on the whole competition. So he's done really well down there. Now, Grok, what about our defenders? I mean, we saw Dylan Grimes had another blinder on the weekend. Asprey was almost best on ground. I thought Rance had a bit of a crap one, to be honest, against Collingwood. Um, how do you see our guys sort of matching up against the Geelong forwards given that uh, Hawkins is in some red-hot form? Um, I, I think this is going to be a really good matchup. Um, obviously, Geelong's forward line, they're playing a lot of sort of flankers at the moment surrounded surrounding Hawkins players who are really quick around the ground. I mean, you know, Parfit and, and stuff. It's just um, the, the biggest query I have on Geelong's forward line is their defensive pressure. Um, they Especially Daniel Menzel. I mean, that that was the whole reason Menzel couldn't couldn't crack into the final side last year was because he he doesn't really offer Geelong anything defensively. He's is very um, offensively focused, and with our uh, with our defence, obviously we've got Nick Floston who likes to you know push up and get involved in the play. Jaden Short likes to push up and get involved in the play. Dylan Grimes is getting more and more offensive. Rancy likes to, you know, set up the play. It's one of those things where Geelong's forwards, I think they're going to have opportunities to score, but it's also that they're going to have to be wary of making sure that our players don't actually get involved in the contest as well because if if we can get Jaden Short and, you know, Nick Floston involved in the game off halfback, you know, driving forward, I think that's really going to help us. And it, it's one of those things where... Tom Hawkins is in probably career best form at the moment. 
um, is probably is probably the most informed player in the competition, and obviously it's, it's the question is who who goes to him. Um, the way he plays, I think Asprey's probably the best bet. He's much stronger one on one in the contest than what Rance is. Uh, but I, I think it's probably going to be a, a switch job between uh, Asprey and Rance. I think Asprey will take him when Hawkins is parking himself in the goal square and leading out, and when he pushes up to get involved in the play, I think that's when Rance will take him. But Col- Collingwood actually played Rance really well. They they didn't give him the time or the space. They didn't play, you know, they didn't take a forward out. They actually made sure there was six on six in the in their forward line, so Rance actually couldn't be that loose man you know, floating and, and chopping off. So it's one of those things that I, I reckon Geelong probably would have noticed that and they'll, they'll, they will they'll will notice that during their opposition analysis uh, tomorrow or Wednesday when they whenever they do it. And it's – I could really see them shutting reins down and if they do that, it, it's really, it's really going to go a long way towards them winning the game. Well, I mean, they did that when we met them last time during the season with Harry Taylor who – just tell him up big time. Uh, Ryan, do you see? Do you have anyone else who's going to potentially play that role, given that Harry is, isn't likely to play? Yeah, I, I think depending on what they do with Jack Henry, I think he might be a, a sort of logical matchup for Rance if they decide to go that way. He's, he's tall enough. He's athletic. He covers the ground really well. It's just a matter of whether they decide to play him back without Tom Stewart or whether they're happy to roll with him up forward. Um, the 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 Rance matchup's always going to be interesting because I can see it going either way. Um, the Cats might opt to make him defend and actually have someone on him. Or, you know, they might, Geelong at times this year, have enjoyed having that extra defender off half-back. Um, so maybe they might, you know, release a, a Mitch Duncan or a Tim Kelly off off half-back and, and try and use that as a, as a weapon. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how that one plays out. And, Grok, the other one which we spoke about earlier with the Ruck Jewel, Nankervis and Stanley. Um, Stanley, like I said, is having a pretty good year. Nankervis is playing well for us, but um, I'm still really worried we're going to, one, burn him out, uh, and two, that when he's not rucking, when he's off the ground and it's someone like Sean Grigg in the ruck, that we're just getting absolutely smashed around the clearances. And it's actually amazing that we're still winning games the way we are, given how badly we lose in that area of the game. That's that's one thing that's been really noticeable this year is when Nank's off the ground for a rest, clubs are getting an ascendancy on us. You know, they're, get, they're getting a run on, they're kicking goals, and they're just grinding us out. And it, it's one of those things. Grig, last year when he went through the, the, uh, the ruck, he was jumping for the ball. This year he's actually staying down and conce- conceding the hit out, but he's, he's in position to, to get the ball. And... It's one of those things he can't really do that. He ne- he needs to compete because if if Stanley goes up unopposed, he's going to be able to place it right into the laps of Dangerfield and and Selwood, Ablett and Duncan and all these players. So, well, I think Grig, he's it's one of those things where do we really bring in a second ruckman? It's obviously the only options really are Soldo, Callum Moore or. Noah Bolter and Bolter's in in his first years showing some decent signs at, at VFL level, but you, you can't really throw a player who'd be debuting into the ruck in his first game. That, I think that's a no. Soldo offers a, is a solid ruckman, but he doesn't really offer us anything else. It's I think the biggest thing is um, 
if we do go for a second rough route to sort of combat and and um, combat Stanley, it's it's going to have to be Callum Moore who plays that role and have Nank go forward and uh, more through the ruck. But it, I really don't I really don't see how we can continue persisting with Grigg through the ruck if he if he's not at least jumping or trying to compete um, for, for the hit out because it's it's just not working. It's giving it's giving the opposition a clear advantage through the midfield and for for a team that's getting wiped in clearances already it's not something we can really afford to happen in the net, in the lead up to finals it's going to have to be something we rectify sooner than la- rather than later yeah we just keep putting ourselves under pressure for no reason like the amount of times i saw like you said grig was stationary on the ground and two collingwood players would run around the front of the pack and be in about 20 meters of space cox or grundy would just put it straight to them and off they go inside 50 unopposed so yeah we can't afford to be doing that uh, the final matchup or play I want to talk about is Scott Selwood, obviously known for his negating roles. Ryan, do you see him going to Dusty or Cochin? Uh, I can see him going with Dusty uh, in the midfield. I don't think he'll, it'll be one of those full-on tags in terms of following him everywhere he goes. Um, I, I think if you if you go, if you're wanting to shut down, you know one of Richmond's best players. I mean, you, you just go straight to Dusty, don't you? I mean, he's he's just so damaging everywhere he goes. Um, I'd like to see... It'd be interesting to see what Geelong does when, when Dusty moves forward, whether they go with a smaller player like a, a Zach Tui or a, a Collar Jasny on him, or I whether you were they... I going to say um, Zach Guthrie then. I was going to say, please, God, go with Zach Guthrie. That'd be a great yeah. result for us. <laughs> the, the old Oz kicker who's just stayed out after halftime, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or... Um, you know, like the player that I suggested, um, you know, in the Geelong Addy footy podcast earlier this week was that maybe Mark Blitzabs goes to him um, when he's playing forward. Obviously, he'll be able to compete one-on-one with him and he covers the ground just as good as Dusty. I, I think that'd be a, a really interesting matchup to see um, those guys sort of going toe-to-toe in the forward line. Um, to get back to your point, look, I think they'll go with Dusty. I don't think it'll be a hard tag as such. Um, I think they'll make him earn it around the contest, but I think Geelong will sort of back their midfield in to, to win it too and, and let Selwood be that tackling and harassing player that, that they need. And what about uh, just any other possible changes you think are going to happen this week? You obviously said Stewart could be in doubt to play. Is there anywhere, anyone else looking to come back in or may have to make way? No, I think that would be the one change they make. Um, Tom Stewart, obviously, with the, the ankle injury cloud, um, who they bring in is, is going to be really interesting. And it, it'll sort of give um, the Richmond co- coaching staff an idea in terms of how Geelong is going to structure up in forward and defence because Jack Henry is that, that middleman. He can play forward, and in that case, I'll probably bring in a defender. But if they want to see him play in the back line, then they'll obviously bring in a forward. Um, Jackson Thurlow is one name that's been thrown around. He's just been racking it up in the VFL. He's a, he's a more attacking option. Um, Zach Guthrie, obviously that more lockdown defender, will definitely not be on Dusty. I can guarantee Damn. you if he comes into the side. So <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. Or well, unless something drastically bad happens during the game and he, he's stuck there. Just for one um, contest, that would be great to see. <laughs> one on one in the goal square, <laughs> yeah. hey? What do you reckon? Yeah, when yeah, just when drop there's it in five high. seconds left, yeah, and it's two points of difference, yeah, something like that. <laughs> Um, forward line wise there's a lot of guys that are even and um, to be honest there's no one really in the VFL that I'd like to see come in and and play that forward role Um, 
Maybe Charlie Constable, who's a midfielder, might be able to come in and do a roll up forward. He's just been brilliant in the VFL, and it'd be pretty fitting to, to, to see him get a debut in the next week or so. Fair enough. And Grok, what about for us? Obviously, Presti is probably odds-on chance to miss. Um, Miles, to me, is the obvious replacement because we just need another contested ball winner in there. We can't lose someone like Prestia and not replace him with a contested ball winner. I think that's probably what's going to happen. Uh, Miles come in for for Prestia. But at the same time, I'd, I'd almost be tempted to play Dusty more as a midfield this year uh, in this game, playing in the role that he was playing last year is that you know, prime midfielder who who goes forward rather than the forward who goes through the midfield that we've been playing him in, you know, over the last sort of 12 weeks. And I'd almost be tempted to do that and bring Callum Moore in to replace Dusty up forward because that'll, that gives us a second target against Geelong's tallish back line, um, you know, more more aerial sort of contesting ability. And it also gives Nankervis a chop out. So I, I think, you know, while Miles will probably be that, the, the inclusion for the week. I think from a pure, from purely team structure-wise, I think moving Dusty or even um, Josh Caddy through the midfield and bringing Callum Moore in is just going to make us better in two areas of the ground rather than the one that Miles will. Um, I what think the biggest thing... For, what was I was going to say, do, do you reckon um, it was floated that Townsend might actually pick up some more midfield minutes, maybe not necessarily in centre bounces, but in stoppages around the ground? Do you reckon Townsend could be another one just for that bash and crash, hardball get kind of player, just chuck him in around the contest? Play him as a human wrecking ball. I think that that's that would be a good idea. I could, I could see Townsend being sort of our Mitch Robinson in that regard, you know, going through the midfield and just absolutely, you know, taking our opposition players, you know, making them earn their ball. And I'd, I'd absolutely love to see a contest between Townsend and Dangerfield where they're both going for the loose ball. It's, it's one of those things where it makes you wonder who will actually, you know, come off second best in, in that contest. And I think obviously um, with the midfield, I think our number one player right now is Shane Edwards. Um, He's, his influence on the game from his minimal touches, I think he's probably second to none in our side. Obviously, you know, Dusty gets involved, but he hasn't really been hitting the heights that he did last year. Cochin's a little bit down. Prestia's still sort of trying to work his way back from his extended injury layoff. Um, Lambert's heavily dependent on the others around him to get involved. Shane Edwards is the one, if I was Geelong, and Edwards was starting in the midfield, he'd be the one that I'd be tagging. Because even when he's in tight in a contest, his ability to get a handball out to a running player in space is probably the best in the AFL. He's, he's got the cleanest hands, and his ability to find a target, no matter where he is, how many opponents are around, is absolutely elite. And he, he sets us up so well through the midfield when he goes through there and he's got the ball in his hands. And every time... He has the ball. He makes something happen. You know, we, we we end up with a scoring shot. He's the number one goal assist uh, number one goal assist player in the AFL. And if if he gets you know fifteen twenty possessions, he's he's going to con- contribute in a in a really big way. So it's it's one of those things that Geelong are going to have to think about. Do they go for the player who's 
going to win the ball and you know set the play up, or are they going to go for the one that actually influences the contest? Yeah, Edward's very underrated. And just a side note, you almost let go of the C bomb by accident there, but well done on correcting yourself before it got that far. <laughs> yes, uh, I realised. I was like, <laughs> damn it. No, nah, but yeah, Edward's um, he's definitely one to watch. I'm loving his work this year. Very, very slick in the midfield. Yeah. All right, before we let you both go, we'll get a prediction for the game. Uh, Grok, I'll start with you. What's your prediction, including margin? Um. My prediction for the game would be I think we'll overrun Geelong in the second half. Um, obviously, they do play a heavily handball-focused game. They love to take the game on, and that really plays into our pressure game. Teams who get involved in the handball game do turn it over a lot against us. So if Geelong do play the way that they've been playing the last few weeks with the heavy handball game, I really do think that we'll win. I could, I reckon uh, Richmond by uh, 17 points. I think okay. that's that'll be about it. And Ryan, what about yourself? What's your prediction, including margin? Yeah, I reckon the numbers don't lie. Uh, Richmond just play the MCG really well, and their pressure game's top no- top notch. Um, I can see Geelong winning if everything goes their way, but I just think so much has got to go right for the Cats to win. So I reckon Richmond by a couple of goals, um, maybe twelve points, and. I think the Cats would take a bit of confidence from that heading towards finals, knowing that they're within reaching distance of the Tigers. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I can't see Richmond not winning on Friday night. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of a little bit hesitant about this game, especially with the loss of Prestia. That's going to affect us more than I think a lot of people realise with the points you made before, Grok. So if we were to win, yeah, it won't be by any more than 10 points, I don't think. I think Geelong are going to really get themselves up and about for this one. But uh, just because it's at the G, I'll say Tigers by about 10 points. Uh, Well, thanks for heaps for coming on, guys. And just a reminder, the game is on Friday night at the MCG at 7.50, I believe it is. Uh, So make sure everyone gets down and watches the boys. Uh, Ryan, thanks for your time tonight, mate. Really appreciate it. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to this time next year when we're talking again. Absolutely, and potentially in finals as well. Absolutely. Well, fingers crossed it'd be nice in a grand final podcast edition, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be good. Yeah, that'd be um, that'd be nice. And Grok, thanks for your time as well, mate. Appreciate you coming on. No worries, mate. I guess I'll see you in a couple of weeks, the way things are going. Yeah, you're a semi-regular now, along with the lounge lizards, so no, always welcome on at any time. And that just about does it for an episode. So until next time, go Tigers. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Richmond Big Footy Tiger Cast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and YouTube so you can follow all the roasts and toasts, the reviews and previews, and all topics Richmond. Also keep an ear out for our special episodes of interviews with past players. Go Tigers.